You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. It is, it is super encouraging to be with you all. I just want to acknowledge the box seats here on either side of me right now. Those are the special privileged people who get to sit in these box seats and each side. It's pretty neat, eh? Church never had that before. So you guys know you're blessed, right? That's good, yeah. You're all blessed. We're all blessed to be here together. I'm so thankful for those who love Hope Church, an imperfect church, but a church that is seeking to pursue the one who is perfect. And I pray you're supernaturally encouraged today, whether here or watching online as well. In 2016, Oxford's, Oxford Dictionary's word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth. So that's very interesting to me. Maybe you, like me, many others, would be like, what in the world is post-truth? And why in the world was it the word of the year? Here's the definition on the screen by Oxford's Dictionary of post-truth. It's this. It's relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential Objective facts, in other words, truth, are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Okay, just look at that for a second. Let that definition sink in. Circumstances in which objective facts are less influential compared to public opinion, are based on emotion and personal belief. Personal belief, aside from objective facts. Here's how dictionary.com, let's go to the next slide there. Dictionary.com, maybe even fleshing this out further, defines it this way, relating to or existing in an environment which facts are viewed as irrelevant or less important than personal beliefs and opinions And emotional appears are used to influence public opinion. Paul's truth, existing in environment, facts are viewed as irrelevant. Facts are viewed as irrelevant or less influential. First of all, the fact that this word is even defined in the dictionary is crazy to me. Because think about it, in that very definition, what if I don't feel that or my emotions don't agree that post-truth is even truth? Right? Think about that. What if I just feel that that definition is incorrect? Think about it this way. If there's such a thing as post-truth, based on feelings and opinions that makes truth non-truth, then the Oxford Dictionary itself, could you be said, is irrelevant. Because everything in that is said to be true, but maybe I don't want it to be true. Maybe I don't feel like it's true. I mean, just for me, just to start walking down the road enters us into a cycle, I believe, of insanity. I mean, I hope you're joining me on that road a little bit right now just to see how crazy it is. But listen, this is the thinking driving our culture right now. Like, this is literally the attempted foundations on which we are building things as we go forward. So according to this self-defeating definition... Think about that. I, th- I, I, I think that's accurate. The definition itself is self-defeating. According to the self-defeating definition, emotions, feelings, and fantasies 
are the driver of all beliefs and direction. And this is taking root all over the place right now. We confront this reality every day we live right now. Pulse truth. It just, it just, there really is no sense of truth, or we decide now based on how I feel what is true. Here's the problem for genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Genuine followers of Jesus Christ know that this can't hold up. We know this is farcical, it's unsustainable. The foundation cannot stand. As genuine believers in Jesus Christ, how do we reconcile Paul's truth with the following verses? When Jesus said every single one, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. I am the truth. Try to put that in the category of Paul's truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said this. Next verse, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said this as well. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. Truth is so important. Next slide. Jesus says this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How much truth matters to our God. Jesus also said this, when the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, one of his titles is spirit of truth. How much the Holy Spirit cares about truth. He will guide you into all the truth. One of the great goals and roles of the Holy Spirit is to lead God's people towards truth. And then Jesus also th- said this in John chapter 18 to Pilate. He says, everyone who is of the truth, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Evidently, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was incredibly passionate about truth. In fact, again, he said, he is truth. So let's be crystal clear then. There is truth. There is absolute truth. And an absolute truth that overrides any subjective feelings or ideas. It's critically important for our faith in these times. We find ourselves in a day where preferences are trumping truth. Preferences are trumping health. And preferences are trumping reality itself. We find ourselves today where postmodern thought birthed so many decades ago, postmodern thought has fully birthed now into a place into a place where we now make up our own version of reality or truth, if you can call it that. And any rational person, though, and this becomes the challenge, doesn't it? Any rational person will know that the end result of such notions is self-destruction. Any rational person will know you cannot build a society based on that which cannot hold up anything. A house without a foundation cannot stand. It's interesting for me and somewhat encouraging that even secular thinkers now are increasingly warning of the impending societal implosion due to the abandonment of historical real truth accepted by every civilization that has gone before us. Secular thinkers now increasingly are starting to warn of such impending disaster that is upon us or already within us. How does this apply to our series in Imago Day? Well, I think you can already answer that question yourself. It applies specifically, precisely, and powerfully. 
It applies specifically as it relates to the biblical vision of male and female. It applies precisely as it relates to the truth of God's creation. And it applies powerfully because this then allows us to live with clarity, conviction, and courage. And that's where we go today. Clarity, conviction, and courage based on what we know to be true and then the compassion of Christ to live this out in a world that doesn't agree. One of the verses that's associated with O Canada, which is so beautiful in the history of our nation, it says this, Ruler supreme, who hearest humble prayer, hold our dominion within thy loving care. Help us to find, O God, in thee a lasting rich reward as waiting for the better day we ever stand on guard. Just look at that for a second. This is not me saying wishing for the good old days. This is me recognizing and where we came from. Now notice in this very verse, notice the clarity right here. The clarity that we need, ruler supreme. We are clear as a nation, writing this verse within this hymn, we are clear there's a ruler above us that we pray to. Notice the conviction. The conviction, help us to find, O God, in thee a lasting rich reward. And the conviction now leads to courage we ever stand on guard. Clarity, conviction, and courage right here, embedded within the founding of our nation. All based on truth that everyone understood and agreed upon. Again, each week our foundational verse has been stated for a reason and we're going to be there again today and I encourage you to open your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 1. Our foundational verse of Genesis 1 verse 27. Why do we keep going back to this? Because this is the doctrine that carries our purpose, that carries our clarity and our meaning. This doctrine Remember that when you open your Bible right now to Genesis 1 and you look at verse 27, this is the doctrine of God given to us from the beginning that gives our purpose, our clarity, and our meaning for life and all of humanity. It's that big a deal. It's that important. This whole series is based in Genesis 1 and 2 for this reason, confirmed by New Testament passages all over the place. Genesis 1 verse 27. We already read this today. Let's hear it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's our first point today. Is this, listen, according to God's word, the clarity of gender, male and female. We need clarity. And God's word gives it to us. The clarity of gender, male and female. Now this statement said 500,000 years ago, 50 years ago, 25 years ago would be, well, obvious. Um, it would never be questioned. This, in fact, this, this fact, what we just read in scripture, has never been questioned throughout history until now. It has been clear through every generation until recent years. Now we are confronted with serious confusion, chaos, and questions that have never previously been asked. Now, remember, when this starts to happen within our society, let's also remember our God is not a God of confusion. Um, He does not author chaos. Our God is a God of order. Look on the screen here, 1 Corinthians 14. And there it is, for our God is not a God of confusion, our God is a God of peace. He's a God of order, he's a God of designed organization. 
So this is why then the biblical foundations right now are so utterly essential. I'm telling you, the biblical foundations for a husband, for a wife, for friends, for any child of God here right now, for a family, for children, for youth, for young adults, these foundations are absolutely critical. Why? Psalm 11 verse 3 on the screen for you says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So critical for the church, so critical for our association of churches, so critical for our nation. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is an attempt to state the foundation that will never be moved. And one of our most critical foundations is the doctrine of Imago Dei. This is what we've been learning because that's where worth and dignity and purpose come from. You lose this doctrine, you lose these realities. Part of the purpose of Imago Dei is that all of us All of us are created by God, either male or female. This is part of our God-given identity in his design for his glory. Just think about it. Our God-designed, God-given identity as male and female is necessary in Scripture that we might be fruitful and multiply and then steward the earth as God's creation, specifically within male and female. You take away male and female, that can't happen either one. You won't be fruitful and multiply, and the complementarity and the, and the notion of coming together, male and female, to steward the earth again together as one by God's design is so clear there as well. God's design and God ordained male and female is more than that too. Notice carefully in Genesis 1.27. Look at Genesis 1.27 here at home. Look carefully at it. Notice in the third line of the verse, male and female substitutes now for image of God. See that? Notice also that the word them in the third line replaces the word him H-I-M, in line two. Notice that there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Now notice, now it's replaced male and female, replacing the image of God. He created them, now as opposed to him saying him. In line two of verse 27. Why is that important? I think you should know why it's important. The image of God now in humanity is emphatically expanded to the plurality of male and female. Imago Dei, the very foundation for all of humanity, listen carefully, cannot be separated from male and female. If you want Imago Dei, you have to have male and female also in the design of God explicitly right here, undeniable, irrefutable, based on Scripture. It's the, listen, it's the plurality within the unity. And this plurality within the unity, of course, is a reflection of the Trinity itself. Notice in Genesis 1, verse 26. Take a look. Verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's the triune Godhead, one God, three persons, the unity and the plurality, God places that within humanity. So in God's design for humanity, the plurality that exists within the unity, now listen carefully, which is where we get our identity as male and female to the praise and glory of God. 
And all of this is happening in the omniscient God creating male and female. If you look at Genesis 1, you look down at verse 31, near the end there, it says, and God made, and he called this very good. Oh, humanity must be also careful to never call bad what God has declared to be very good. And God has declared very good to be us, made in his image, male and female. He created them. But as we indicated in week one of our series, our world is desperately trying to hang on to the idea of human dignity, but is insisting on severing the roots from which it came. But think about that. It's the root that produces the fruit. Every single time. There will, no, there will not be fruit apart from the root. The root here is God created humanity in the image of God and God created male and female in his design in the image of God resulting in our dignity. If you cut off the root of God created men and women in the image of God, you cannot have the fruit of dignity and worth and purpose. Eventually it will break down. A man named Henry Grunwald, he astutely stated this regarding the 20th century. On the screen for you, he said this, one of the most remarkable things about the 20th century, more than technological progress and physical violence, has been the deconstruction of man and woman. He continues, our view of man obviously depends on our view of God. I mean, just, just look at that sentence. It's so, this, is, this is really what we're learning right now so much or hearing again. The ultimate irony or perhaps tragedy is that secularism has not led to humanism. So interesting. We have gradually dissolved, deconstructed the human being into a bundle of reflexes, impulses, neurosis, nerve endings. The great religious heresy used to be making man the measure of all things. But we have come close to making the man the measure of nothing. Now you fast forward into the 21st century, and the further we remove ourselves from God, the further we lose our own minds in this regard. See, the further we, we, we distance ourselves from the doctrine, from the foundation, from the glory, from the design of God, then the, then, 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 then the further we go from rational thought, this is where we end up in things like post-truth. It just, it just cannot be sustained. You see, so the key to true clarity for humans, again, maybe hear this, and who's this for right now? Who's watching right now? The, the key to clarity, so many have no clarity. So many are so confused. So many are so lost. So many are so miserable. So many are longing for the next drug or trying to find their identity in anything that props them up for a moment, but they end up then in taking their own life because it doesn't last. The key to clarity for humans is closeness to God. The closer we get to God, the more we run to Jesus Christ, the more clearly life becomes for us in our purpose and worth and value. Life doesn't get easier with Jesus. That's to come called heaven. But life gets so clear and the reason we live, the whole purpose of our existence is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is where clarity is found. And this is what God is saying today to us. Rooted in the design of our very makeup of either male and female, the clarity of gender, male and female. Point number two now, the conviction 
The conviction of gender now, male and female. The conviction of gender. We move from clarity to conviction on this topic because this is so needed in our day. And loved ones, please hear, everyone listening right now online too, please understand, the more clearly we see what God has taught, the more conviction we can have. It's those who have no clarity in God's word, they have no conviction because they don't know. But we see the truth we know the truth, we love the truth, and then we have a growing conviction of what is true regardless of what that means for our lives in terms of cost. Because to deny the doctrine of Imago Dei in Genesis 1 and 2, including male and female, is then to relegate the design of God to the preferences and desires of humanity. Al Mohler, he says it this way, on the screen, when you start to reimagine creation, it won't be long before you start to reimagine the Creator. When you start to reimagine creation, it won't be long before you start to reimagine the Creator. So we can't do that, right, church? We can't, we can't do that. We can't allow truth and authority of our God to be placed in judgment of each passing wind or wave of culture. If we do that, then we would deny our faith. And a denial of what we know to be both inherently and factually true. Inside and outside of us. Spiritually, intrinsically, biologically, physically. This is why our conviction must be so rooted, so firm, because there's too much at stake. My loved ones, please understand, to accept any current notions of things like non-binary gender or transgenderism, please hear me. To accept these ideas, this is, this is so key, to accept these ideas necessitates then, as a follower of Christ, to reject the doctrines of creation, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of regeneration, and the doctrine of sanctification, to say the least. If we accept these cultural views, we must, by necessity based on what scripture teaches, deny those doctrines, creation, sin, regeneration, sanctification. In other words, you deny the whole gospel. It was J.I. Packer who walked out of a session when his Anglican, by the way, J.I. Packer, incredible theologian, this recently ended his days, just wonderful man of God, author. He walked out of a session when his Anglican diocese blessed same-sex, same-sex marriages. And when he was asked why he walked out, this was his response on the screen, so, so clear, helpful. He says, Because this decision taken in its context falsifies the gospel of Christ, abandons the authority of scripture, jeopardizes the salvation of fellow human beings, and betrays the church in its God-appointed role as the bastion and bulwark of divine truth. And that's so well said. And again, understand the clarity of what's at stake. You cannot have it both ways. You can't. So these become the implications of not having strong, biblical-rooted convictions. As to go with the world, you eventually lose the whole gospel. Let me just pastorally right now, let me just share our heart here as a church and leaders. And please understand, hear me, we have no desire to attack. No desire to hurt anyone. We do have a command to defend have to defend what we know to be true because in the end people will really get hurt when that doesn't happen 
And this is what God has called us to as leaders, as men and women of his church. I want you to hear we grieve over the hurts and the pain and the confusion of our day. I, I personally am grieving as I look across society. But we know we are called and we have given our lives, listen, we have given our lives to the answer being Jesus Christ. We've given our very lives to the answer for this life and the answer for our worth and the answer for our salvation, the answer for our future and hope is being Jesus Christ. He's the only one who is the true pathway to human flourishing. He's the only one who ultimately can lead us from this life to the next, forgiveness of sins and life eternal with him. It's a difficult time in many ways, isn't it? It's a difficult time. And it reminds me so much of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, when Jesus taught some very hard things, the Bible says, it says the majority of his disciples went away. The majority of those listening, they left him. They did not like the hard teachings. And he turns to his disciples, his immediate disciples, and he says, are you going to go away as well? What a moment that is, eh? Are you going to leave me too based on the teachings that are hard and the general population doesn't want to hear or accept? And Peter, bless his heart, Peter turns to Peter, or Peter turns to Jesus, and he says, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You hold the worlds of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. He got that one right. Lord, what's the option? What's the option? Live in this world for a few more years and, and, and get along with certain aspects of culture, whatever, and then die and spend the rest of our eternity separated from the Lord? Lord, what other options do we have? You're the one who holds the words of eternal life. We don't understand it all. We want to love people. We want to live in kindness, but we also know that to do that, we have to live in truth. Remember, this is so simple but so important, Okay? The design of God is the will of God. And his words also equal his will. Without question, the design of God is the will of God. Genesis 1 and 2 are the words of God, detailing the design of God and therefore the will of God for all people. God's creation of male and female are designed by God and for God. So hear me, in fact, actually hear God right now, okay? The one flesh union is actually a reunion of two parts coming together as one flesh. The glory of majesty of God in his design over creation, especially when it comes to male and female made in the image of God. Genesis 1 and 2 is telling us, listen, it's impossible in God's design for a man to complete a man. It's impossible for a woman to complete a woman. This is the glory of male and female. It's the glory of God's design biologically, emotionally, physically, theologically, of course. And in order to bring further clarity in our conviction today, Andrew, Andrew T. Walker, he very helpfully, and I hope this will be helpful for us just in this very important content, he provides five axioms based on Genesis 1 and 2 that relate to what we learn, what God teaches about sexuality and gender. Five axioms that we can observe. These will be on the screen for you. 
number one, he says this. He just says God created. We must understand that Genesis 1 and 2 teaches that God created. So our worldview believes and knows that in the beginning, God. Like full stop. In the beginning, God, our our foundational understanding of gender and sexuality must begin here. That God is the source of all creation. He goes on and he says this. He says God created humanity. Axiom number two, God created humanity. Meaning God is the creator of human beings, obviously. Then we are his subjects. He created us. Now why is that important? He created us. We do not self-create. And because we do not self-create, then sexuality is not human preference. Under the doctrine of Imago Dei in Genesis 1 and 2, sexuality then is the very purpose of God for creation. The third axiom, God created humanity in his image. Okay, meaning this, therefore being male and female in God's image means that our sexual design is a massive part of our fundamental nobility and dignity. Again, meaning you cannot separate Imago Dei from male and female. They have to go together. Fourth axiom, God created humanity male and female now, Walker says. So male and female are not constructed then by psychology. Rather, in Genesis 1 and 2, we know male and female are fixed bodily realities which means they are not interchangeable and they are not removable. That is why a girl, a girl has 74 trillion X chromosomes in her body. 74 trillion. You know how many Y chromosomes she has? Zero. Zero, because she has been created in the image of God and his design unquestionably as female. Fifth axiom, Walker says, God created male and female for one another. So this biology, of course, is indisputable. Sexual activity is only possible between a male and a female. Further, God's design for the relationship of marriage alone is to be contained within a man and a woman for sexual intimacy. That's just the design of God. That's, that's just, again, it's just what we know, what we see. It, just, it can't be argued. This is also why God's design for producing children is exclusive to one reality. Children are only produced among creation of a male and a female coming together as one flesh. So interesting to me. I just, I just give like 30 seconds on this. On a resource page, whatever, there's a, a man in our church has made me aware of this blog. It was a fascinating study. I think it was the 1930s of this man. I think his name was Unwin. And he did a study of 86 civilizations on the role of sexual morality and how these civilizations flourished. It is astounding to me, 86 civilizations. And he made his observations in the 1930s. And basically, in the end, he's like, the civilizations that hold to a strict godly standard of sexual morality. He was coming from a secular position, by the way. But those who hold to sexual morality and its understanding, we would say in the Bible, the flourishing of those civilizations is profoundly, like, like it's the best possible situation. Those civilizations that reject 
a form of sexual purity and produce immorality, it's like a matter of time, three generations, their whole culture will be destroyed. You can look it up. Okay, it's linked on our, 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 our website right now on our resource page. I was so encouraged to read that, at least to see it amazed, fascinated with the documentation. So what this blogger is doing is saying, so let's take his findings and see where we are today, almost 100 years from when this was written. Because the guy said, by three generations, everything will start falling apart. I encourage you to look at it. I just found it fascinating just for, for interest's sake. And of course, verifying what the Bible teaches and the importance of an entire civilization based on God's design and commands and marriage and sex. So what Walker does with this article he has written, he follows up now with sin's impact on the five axioms that we just learned. And let me just briefly go through them. So he says this, so what sin does, sin or sin through culture then, what they do is they reject God's existence and when you reject God's existence, then you therefore must reject God's authority. What happens next is sin leads humanity to deny that we are created by God. And when you deny that we are created by God, then you deny we are born with a divine moral will. Right? Like you get yourself out from under the accountability to God. And that's his third observation. Is sin through culture then humanity will reject any divine accountability to God. And when you reject divine accountability to God, then what this does, this allows for rampant self-autonomy. And self-autonomy leads to self-justification. And when you justify yourself and what you believe is right or wrong, then you, de- you are defined by self-will. When you are defined by self-will, that will then lead sin, culture, humanity to deny that male and female are fixed realities. See, it, 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 it now allows for that to happen because this allows for gender to be as fluid as one decides they are. And then the last stage, he said, is this when sin and humanity will then deny the beauty of male and female complementarity. Which means, he says, this is when all guardrails for sexual activity or sexual, sexuality are nullified. All guardrails are nullified when it comes to sexuality. Because God's design is completely discarded. Here's how Walker summarizes this in his arguments. He says it this way. In all five axioms, what is at the root? Listen carefully. I know this is a lot. What is at the root of humanity's assault on God-defined expressions of sexuality and gender? What's at the root of humanity's assault on this? Well, God's authority over sexual desire and sexual relationships and God's design for how gender is conceived and expressed, it's cast off. That's at the root of it. As it is with every issue of ethics and morality, the idea that any this is so key, the idea that any objective standard exists and is binding begins and ends with whether God exists and whether He intends to hold individuals accountable for their actions. So, so this is why when Paul's truth comes in, it just discards any of that. And then and then we're left to ourselves. We're left to ourselves. I know that there's a lot of content right now, but let me just try to summarize what Walker was saying here, okay, so we can see like we we saw the five axioms but here's here's the process of the impact of sin on culture so first you reject god's existence when you reject god's existence then you reject his authority when you reject his authority then you reject any divine accountability when that happens you uh, are made way for rampant self-autonomy when rampant self-autonomy happens then distorted reality occurs and when distorted reality occurs then we are left with this cultural insanity so it, it starts here but then it ends here, and, and we are finding ourselves in a place now where there are, there are mass levels of cultural 
insanity. An incredibly helpful book for me this past 12 months is a book called um, The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. He's not a Christian. He's actually a gay man who calls himself a Christian atheist. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I think, I think God's pursuing him. It's quite interesting to hear him. So he wrote the book. By the way, like this book, it has some profanity in it and a couple of scenarios that are just to warn you, so a disclaimer, you know, some emails about that I just told you. But the essence of it okay, is so helpful because he's looking across this as a secular individual. And he's like, it's crazy. Like this world's lost its mind. There are hundreds of examples he uses. He breaks down the, 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 the massive issues of our day, gender, trans, gay, race. And uh, as part of his book, he says this, just, just one section out of hundreds. He says, parents worry when they hear the San Francisco-based developmental psychologist, Diane Aronsaf, claim that a one-year-old assigned male baby who unsnaps a onesie and waves it in a particular way is in fact giving a pre-verbal communication about gender. I'm sorry, what? A one-year-old assigned male baby who unsnaps a onesie and waves it in a particular way, really what they're doing is giving a pre-verbal communication about the gender that they would prefer. I don't don't know what to say about that. I, 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 I... I don't. I'm just, I'm just like, what? Like, really? Like, like, this is making it? He goes on. He says, unlike parts of the media, parents do not rejoice in a nine-year-old drag queen being given a modeling contract with an LGBT fashion company telling other children in a viral YouTube video, if you want to be a drag queen and your parents don't let you, you need new parents. What? Like, I... That doesn't make any sense. It's, it's crazy to me. Non-Christian wrote that, guys, okay? He, just observing what he's seeing and just trying to reconcile what in the world is, is happening. I just want to remind you that our resource page is there on purpose to equip you, and there's so much good material that you can take advantage of, and I just you have to do some of your own homework here. There's only so much we can cover. I just extend that to you and just to continue to learn and grow and lead and base your life on truth. So we need clarity and this leads to conviction. And when you have clarity and you have a conviction, listen, this leads to courage and compassion, biblically speaking. Number three, a call for courage and compassion. God help us. You see, it's not that we don't know the truth. So now it's about standing for the truth. Listen, with love and with humility. In Joshua chapter 1, where the command is, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. This is immediately followed in the very next verse with the command to be strong and courageous, do not be frightened. Interesting. The truth of God and the call for the courage in God. I've always said if we lose the truth, we lose everything. We lose the truth, we lose everything. So each one of us must hold to the truth as much as ever. But let me end this. Notice the call for truth is also a call for compassion. I'm going to ask you here to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to ask you to go with me. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read this passage to end and then a couple of comments and pray. Matthew chapter 9. 
verse 36. Please turn there at home, please. Actually, we'll start at verse 35. Matthew 9, verse 35. Thanks for turning. Should be a joy for you anyways. Notice it says, And, and Jesus went throughout all the cities, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Notice that Jesus was filled with compassion for the crowds. Why? The text tells us they were harassed and helpless, scattered and confused, dazed and wandering. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. So many in our day right now, just wandering sheep. They need the shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. They need the shepherd. So many right now wandering, lost, scattered, depressed, addicted, suicidal, flat out miserable, filled with such anger, hostility. Church, we hold the answer. We must have compassion. Again, to understand someone is to love them. We must love to see them as sheep without a shepherd. The clarity that comes from knowing the good shepherd, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The clarity of knowing Jesus Christ, the conviction that comes from the good shepherd, Jesus said, truly, truly, I am the door for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the entranceway to eternal life. The clarity and the conviction that comes from Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. The courage then that comes from knowing and belonging to the good shepherd, Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The courage that says we cannot ultimately die because we are guaranteed to live. The power of Jesus Christ being the good shepherd. There are so many sheep harassed and helpless without a shepherd. Say to you today, you are longing for the good shepherd. His name is Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. He is love. He is grace. He is forgiveness. He is compassion. He is healing. He is truth. He is the way to heaven. There's no one like him. And he calls to you today. Child of weakness. Watch and pray. The Lord in a post-truth world. Listen, we are, we are people of truth. We are people of truth. Give us the clarity, the conviction, the courage, and the compassion to live this out now. Hey, church, I'm going to pray. I want you to pray with me, okay? I want you to pray with me. Father, we, together, and I I pray it's here and it's home, together, we understand the seriousness of the days we live 
We ask, O oh Lord, that you would supernaturally be providing a clarity that we have yet to know that would lead to a conviction of what we know to be true. That you would help man, woman, and child to be filled with the courage for Jesus Christ supernaturally, be strong and courageous. And we pray in all this, Lord, you would also give us a supernatural compassion to love, a compassion for those who don't know, and a compassion, O oh Lord, the love of Jesus Christ. Please, God, would you do it? Please, Lord, would you do this? Well, the text that we just read, it says, earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest that you will send out laborers. And so we do that now, that you would be raising up men and women that don't have fear of the world, have the fear of the Lord, and they will be used, Lord, in just such a beautiful, gentle, loving approach, and yet filled with truth and grace to be used to reach this world that so desperately needs you, the Good Shepherd. Oh, Lord, would you do this? We, we humble ourselves before you because we need you so much. Oh, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on this world. Have mercy on the lost. Pray even right now you're supernaturally leading people and filling them with your spirit. Not to be filled with anger, but to be filled with love. Yes, Lord, and where there's true love, there will always be truth, and there will always be grace. So help us now as a church, and may this time be an awesome time of ministry and life in you. We beg this, Lord, we beg. We, we can't do this apart from you. We just need you so much. Pray this now with great faith and in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing to the Lord.